Rusty Quill presents. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier, and along with Kate Spencer, I host Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. Join us every Wednesday with guests like author Phoebe Robinson, chef Samin Nosrat, actress Busy Phillips, and even former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. On Mondays and Fridays, we have mini episodes where we answer listeners' questions on everyday problems like how useful a butt mask really is, how to deal with a petty friend, or how to relax after a long day. So join us Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Forever 35, where we're not experts, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com You. Yes, you. Are you the type of person that likes puzzles? Then I have some questions for you. Want an itch that cerebral scratch? Do you like blending in more than standing out? Have a gift to overhear the gab. Do you easily fit under most average size furniture? Diminutive size is a must. What do you see here? If you answered yes to all of these questions, apply to the Department of Curiosity today. Don't worry about finding us. We'll find you. Arthur Penmoom was dead, a playwright and sometimes short story writer. The scribe of Madame Mustaches had been murdered the night before the opening of his most ambitious production to date, The Curse of the Pharaoh. Arthur had been a family man until he lost his wife and daughter to scarlet fever. He'd never been the same. A man who was once a lively and vibrant spirit, Arthur walked the halls of the backstage, hurled into himself protected by his cardigan, was worn from daily wear. Rolled up papers stuffed in his pockets of various scenes in progress, Arthur shunned open company and took solace in the corners of Madame Mustache's catacombs, diving deep into stories and scenes and places of somewhere else. The curtain a powerful shield against the realities of the world. And behind that curtain, in the darkness, a darkness had descended on Arthur and snuffed out his light. Who killed the playwright Arthur the night before opening, and with an unfinished ending to Curse the Pharaoh? Was it the Pharaoh's curse itself so prevalent in the play? The lovers tortured by the haunts of the past? Did something from Arthur's past reach out? The word of Arthur's unexpected murder had reached the Grams at the DOC, as well as the call that came in Needle Street from a local constable. At his desk at Needle Street, Inspector Bennett was feeling overwhelmed at his new assignment. His book was unfinished, still in its drawer with little to no progress made. Bennett's desk was swamped with wooden casks. They'd appeared all over the city, and he had been chasing them down for months, each one with cryptic love notes and written instructions for the recipient, instructions to be filled and then locked in place somewhere careful for pickup. A doll with human teeth, a fake emerald necklace, an oleander blossom, sheet music, octopus foam. Random, seemingly non-existent items with no connection other than the cask itself. He mapped them out each place, location, and instruction. No one knew where they had come from or who had written the notes. 
Even Constable Hughes had received one after a series of love notes from a secret admirer. Hughes was back on his park beat, a welcome addition back to the force, and a frustrating return for the players of Corpus Delicti. Bennett was tired. He hadn't slept well for weeks, and his back was seizing up from snoozing crooked in that old chair. Chief Inspector Stroud walked by his desk early in the a.m. How is it proceeding, Bennett? Any cracks in the cask case? No, sir. Not yet. Still chasing leads. Well, we need you at Theater Row. There's been a murder at Madame Mustache. Somebody throttled the playwright. Can you handle it? Inspector Braxton's following up on the warehouse poisoning. Right away, sir. Of course. Bennett grabbed his hat, his worn inspector coat. He had three white buttons on the lapel instead of a black like most inspectors. They were heavily stitched in with extra tough thread. And Bennett. No more shenanigans like the Park Affair. Of course, sir. Bennett couldn't catch a car, so he walked to the theater row in the dark early morning hours. The glittering lights of the posters and marquees lit up, igniting the cloud sky with reds and yellows and gold. Big happy faces beamed back at him from posters. Dark brooding men in shadow painted with pained expressions on their faces. It was exactly in the magic moment of this street, after the last show when everyone had gone home. An actor in thick makeup passed out in the alley behind the Three Deuces dance hall. A street sweeper chased some pages of the lantern tossed by the wind. Madame Mustaches lorded over the street like a giant red harlot, tempting wayward souls. Under the marquee in the flicker of the dancing gold light, four curios huddled around a trash can like a group of morning pigeons looking for bits of bread. A man of short stature with heavy lines around his eyes chewed on a toothpick. A small girl with dark glasses and a walking stick fed a treat to a tiny terrier. A man with frail legs sat on a pillow on a small wooden cart with wheels. All in ash coats and black fedoras. All in hushed discussion about something. A rare sight to see just one curio in public. But to see four was incredibly strange. Bennett approached them. Good morning, he said. They all looked up a little startled. Look out for Gladys the man said. Bennett turned and looked at his heel. There was an old woman, not up to Bennett's knee. Her old bones bent, curved, almost in half, her shuffle and gait facing her straight down to the street. She wore her ash coat and black trilby with confidence, tilted her head sideways to get a glance up at Bennett. Inspector, she said. Nice buttons, he turned to face the street. Terrible shoes, though she said and then shot off toward the Palace Theater at the other end of the row, before Bennett could say anything. Gladys sees all the shows. Usually she sneaks in between matinees, but she wanted to get a good hiding place for the Palace's new show early. You're Bennett, right? Maisie told us about you. Maisie? Yeah, she said you work together. She's inside already, he motioned to the theater. Looks like you got your work cut out for you. Shame about Artie. He was a good egg. I see. Well, I'm about to find out. 
Heard anything? Bennett asked, pleased at his little joke. Nope, the man said flatly. The rest of the curios nodded and tipped their hats, scattered into the receding shadows cast by the theater buildings in the early morning. A worker in overalls on a ladder removed the letters for Curse of the Pharaoh and put up new giant letters on the marquee. He had a stack of rolled posters he'd removed from the frames and a stack of fresh ones he was about to replace. Bennett looked at the Curse of the Pharaoh poster. Rudy Valerio, dressed as the Sheik, westerly with hypnotic eyes over a desert city background. Hey, Inspector Bennett, what's the word? Roz and Gil, reporters from the lantern, stood close together just behind him. A notepad and camera flashbulbs at the ready. Roz, Gil, don't know what you mean. Ah, oh, come on, Inspector. Word's out that Arthur P. made his way. Now tell us, was it some kind of accident? The curse of the pharaoh? Or was it Moida? Not yet determined. I'll have an official statement sometime later. For now, both of you stay out of the way. Inspector tells Lantern reporters to scram. Suspicious, Bennett. Very suspicious. Bennett followed a crew member loading a cart into the main doors and walked past the box office into the theater. The curtain was up. There were people with bags under their eyes running this way and that, prepping for the show. And in the middle of the stage, a desert tapestry covering a body. Hope popped up out of the rear orchestra seat. She spotted Bennett the moment he walked in and rushed down to meet him. And spoke in a quiet voice. Thank you for coming so quickly. This is terrible. We have to get this stage redressed, but didn't want to touch anything. Chance to take a look. Or Arthur. I took the liberty of writing up a timeline for you. All the people present in the theater, and where they were when the body, I mean Artie, was discovered. She handed him the paper. Anything else I can provide? I'll want to meet with everyone. And of course, look at the scene. Of course, right this way. I'll call in all hands. No, not necessary. I'll meet with everyone privately. Bennett ascended the small stairs to the stage. He took three large strides around the stage, looking at the floor and floorboards, and then finally went in close on Artie. He walked over the tapestry, lifted it, pulled it off Artie, and set it aside, and then looked at Artie's face and hands, and then checked his pockets. Buddy the comedian had been hanging around the set and was watching Bennett, studied how the inspector moved. He began to mimic him behind the inspector's back. What were the circumstances? Arthur was just finishing the final scene for our opening tonight. Curse of the Pharaoh. It was supposed to be the big finish where Rudy declared the love for Annie and the curse is lifted. He was supposed to hand in the last few pages. He was running lines in his head, walking the halls. Last I saw him last night, and then here, that was it. Mabel, our comedian, discovered him, and everyone else came running. No one saw a thing. The stage was dark, and the curtain was down while crew was on a break. Looks like strangulation. Bennett looked at the marks on Arthur's neck. Yeah, so I... that scarf... 
That scarf next to him was around his neck when we found him. I took it off to check for breathing, see if he was still... But he wasn't. I'm sorry if I disturbed anything. Bennett picked up the long, pretty scarf, held it out, splayed in front of him, looked for anything distinguishing, and then brought it in and gave it a sniff. He placed the scarf on top of Arthur and looked closely at the neck markings, checked Arthur's fingers, and then searched Arthur's pockets. How many people in the theater? Cast seven. Crew with me. Suppose that's Max and... Stage crew makes it 13. Anyone suspicious? Any new additions? Buddy chimed in. Hey, uh, maybe we all did it together. You all did it. All 13 of you. You all strangled Arthur together. 13 people choked him at the same time. Yeah, we, uh, we took turns. You each traded off choking this man. For a few minutes each. And how long did that take? Oh, the better part of the evening. You should have seen his face. The shock of it. I would imagine. Bennett looked at Hope. He's the funny one, I take it. Occasionally, she said. Bennett reached into his pocket and pulled out a small and perfectly sharpened pencil. He took out a notebook, started a new page, wrote Madame Mustache at the top, and jotted down some key observations. Ms. Just call me Hope. Hope, can you please message Needle Street and tell them to send the Wegg boys down pick up Arthur here? I'm sorry for your loss, he added. It would be ideal if we could keep the theater closed while we ran a thorough sweep for evidence and interviews with cast and crew. Oh, you'd have to talk to Max about that. He said tonight, it's pre-sold. There was no way we could close. Money's already spent, apparently. He made up a whole new show just to get us to their side of this. Let me talk to Maxwell. Maximilian, actually. Max strutted onto the stage, jamming a fresh cigar into the corner of his mouth and wiping three days of stress sweat from his brow with his hat. He offered his hand. Arthur worked for you? Yes, he did. Charity walked up behind Max. Max, here's your coffee. He took the cup. Charity, you should go get a bite to eat. He pulled a roll of bills out of his pocket and handed her a sawbuck. Go get some food and a nap out in a quiet booth. Come back in a few hours away from this racket. You sure you don't need me? He looked at Hope, who avoided her eyes. No, kid, get out of here. Plenty to do tonight. Need you fresh for the show. Okay, Max. She looked over Max's shoulder at Bennett. Inspector... He said. Good to see you're looking well. Miss Souter. Interesting to see you back in Theater Road District. Needle Street still short on coats, I see. Bennett grinned a tight grin and nodded. Charity grabbed her coat and headed out to find some toast and eggs. A line started to form from crew from props and set and wardrobe with questions for hope. Okay, if you two are done here, I have a million things to get to before tonight. Hope rushed off, shaking her head and looking over a long checklist. Bennett replaced the tapestry over Arthur's body. Let's go to your office. I have a couple questions, said to Max. Sure thing, Inspector. Max led him into the backstage to the manager's office. 
where Bennett sat down and took out his pad. Max sat at his desk, leaned into his warm leather chair with a deep sigh. Bennett's Notes Madame Moustache Playwright Murder Victim, Arthur Penmoom Interrogation, Maximilian Wurst Owner-Operator of Madame Moustaches Writer Arthur Penmoom under his employee for 18 seasons, a total of 22 shows. Longtime friends, no animosity to speak of other than an occasional late check or creative disagreement. Both excited to open the new show. Curse of the Pharaoh was some of his best writing, and he was finishing the last scene before opening night. Last saw Victim walking the halls and scribbling notes on last few pages of script in late evening. Victim had been despondent for several years after losing his wife and child to scarlet fever. He'd been coping by burying himself in his work and the occasional chorus girl. Initial possible suspects, no one stands out particularly. There'd always been arguments between cast and writer, especially the stars. Lines, scenes, characters. Artie pushed back a lot, but there never seemed to be any personal grudges. So you don't think he did it to himself and at first glance? I can say that's probably the case. But were there any grudges with the cast or crew? Bennett asked. Any heated exchanges? Jealous lovers? What about the lantern? Oh, the reviews at the lantern have been savage. They've supported a few shows, especially when we booked in those stars as they wanted access for interviews. But they've torn Artie apart over the years. He complained plenty. And we were going to have them in last night for a preview, but they canceled. So I got box tickets for tonight. He snapped his fingers. Ah, that reminds me. I got to give him the heads up and we changed the show. Really? To what? Bennett asked. I had to think fast, so we're doing a follies. Put our talent forward and step lightly. Although I'm sure the words are already all over town that we're the murder theater now. I just put together some of the acts from the cast people know best, old favorites. I should reschedule the lantern review for when we have Pharaoh mounted for reels. Rudy is going to be relieved for sure. Rudy? Our pretty boy. The good looks. Our leading man. He's the star of Curse of the Pharaoh. He and Artie had some big back and forth about that final scene that last couple of days. Artie said he had it licked. And then Rudy and him had some back and forth that got pretty loud. Not crazy, mind you. Nothing violent or anything like that. But Rudy, for some reason, didn't like the big finish. That's what Artie was working on. He was trying to work with Rudy's notes, I guess. The bigger the draw, the bigger their ego. So I hear. I think I need to have a little chat with Rudy. He's sleeping in his dressing room. You'll have to go to him. Let Hope give him the heads up. He likes her. Come on, let's find her. The sooner we can get you on this, the sooner everyone will calm down and we can get on with the crisis. Until the next one, anyway. I may not look too upset, but trust me, Inspector, I am. Artie was a great friend. First, I have to keep this ragtag family fed. And the second I find that bastard that done this, then I can crawl in a bottle and remember Artie the way he should be remembered. Max and Bennett stood and walked out into the hallway. They made their way through the tight, narrow corridors. Snoring drifted in from nooks and crannies as people caught whatever shut-eye they could, working overnight, prepping for the new show. As the head seamstress opened the door to the wardrobe room, the bright lights carved out into the hallway. And at the edge of the light, Maisie Myers the curio stepped one foot out, just enough to catch Bennett's eye as he passed. She tipped her hat at him as he passed by and disappeared back into the shadows. 
Charity ate a big breakfast of potatoes and eggs and wheat toast with a rough cup of black coffee at a busy early morning diner filled with working class mugs on their way to the line. She fell asleep with her back to the wall and her hat pulled down over her eyes in the far corner where no one would care. She dozed in the cacophony around her, drowning out any thoughts of Mulberry or Madame Mustaches. She came around and stretched, pushed her plate away from her, took a slug of warm coffee, and left a generous tip as she headed back towards the theater. On her way in the morning light of shop window, she spotted some modest workman's shirts and grabbed a clean one for Max as a thank you for his generosity. Things were moving so fast, they weren't going to be able to grieve for Arthur until they had the show well on its way. This crew, as tight a family as it was, might try to avoid it altogether. You didn't join the theater to embed yourself in reality. Charity walked back to the theater street, popped out of the side street next to the palace, and approached Madame Mustaches. The sign worker was just finishing up and arranged the giant letters on the marquee, stepped down off his ladder. Charity stopped and sighed as she saw the new show. Oh, Max, what have you done? She asked. Beaming in the new daylight, backlit red letters exclaimed, For one night only, Madame Mustaches presents The Murder Follies. Mouths to feed and a long way to go, nothing will ever stop the show, not even murder. Will Max be able to appease the public with the follies, or sour a standing with the cast by taking advantage of the buzz? What were Arthur and Rudy arguing about that had these final pharaoh pages in such a predicament? Will Maisie and Bennett solve the puzzle and track down Arthur's killer? Will Charity find her place back with her theater family, or is this just a long nap in a short booth? Grab some coffee. It's going to be a long night until doors. On the next episode of Celine.
Would you like a ticket to enjoy the revelry of Noon Night Affair? Our Patreon is a place where you can see all the sordid savagery and indecent decadence of the mysteries of our fair city. Want some answers for once? Solve the mysteries and share never-before-heard stories, music, and spectacle. Come be a part of Moonlight Affair, Silent Treatment, and Selene with the other spirits again and again and again and again and again and again and again. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey guys, welcome to Giggly Squad, a place where we make fun of everything, but most importantly, ourselves. I'm Paige DeSorbo. I'm Hannah Burner. Welcome to the squad. Giggly Squad started on Summer House when we were giggling during an inappropriate time. But of course, we can't be managed. So we decided to start this podcast to continue giggling. We will make fun of pop culture news. We're watching. Fashion trends. Pep talks where we give advice. Mental health moments. And games and guests. Listen to Giggly Squad on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> 